We have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Celebrating Black excellence 24-7. Download The Grio now. It's free. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking to New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and podcast host, Lovey Ajayi-Jones, about her latest book, Rising Troublemaker. This morning has already been a lot. I woke up to that Politico story that basically let us all know that our reproductive rights are under attack. So it's a good day to talk to one of my favorite people, one of my favorite sources of inspiration, Lovey. Hey, Lovey. Girl, today this is what I look like because I woke up this morning and all of my rights were being stripped away from me. So this is all I could do today. This is all I have. It's a hot mess. I just, you know, I'm still processing. And I don't know why I'm, my mind is acting so shocked. Like I didn't know that this was coming, but it couldn't be a better time to talk about your book because we are going to need some fear fighting youngins more, you know, more than ever. Um, And you have been someone who has really helped me fight my fears uh, and and provided invaluable tools to my mental health. And so in this mental health month of May, you know, you're the perfect guest to have on Acting Up. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So first off, for those of you who, I don't know, live under a rock, Lovey is the, is the author of Professional Troublemaker, and now she's got Rising Troublemaker coming out. So this is a version of her again, invaluable advice that we can be giving to the younger ones, because we all know that mental health and taking control of your life is not something that you want to introduce during a crisis. Like we should be preparing young people to take control of their lives, I think far earlier than we do. Um, And I'm so glad that you've created this tool for them. Talk to me a little bit about why now was the time to talk to this group of people. Listen, the world that we live in is a dumpster fire because not enough people are using their power and their voice to really make positive change, like to actually do it in the rooms that they're in. Not just, it's not about donating $20,000. It's not about starting your own nonprofit. It's not about always being the person who's marching, but like in our everyday rooms where things are actually happening, there's things that, um, there's like a domino effect. And I think about what would have happened if we had gotten the message earlier, like in our teen years that we are supposed to figure out how to make the world better than we found it. We're supposed to do the things that feel audacious and big and scary because they're usually what's necessary. You know, I think now is actually a great time to talk about Rising Troublemaker because, you know, I think about the late, great John Lewis who said, be ready to make necessary good trouble. I want teenagers to get this information now that their existence in the world, that in a deeply unjust world, if you're somebody who's looking for justice, you are going to be making trouble. So it's okay to be a troublemaker for good. It's okay to be a disruptor for good. And actually, we need you to be a disruptor for good. So we can be in fewer moments like we are seeing. So we can have fewer villains in the world who are taking up space. So more things can go challenged. You know, more things that are unjust 
not right, unfair, oppressive, can go fought for because more people are saying something, you know? So that's why I'm like, now is especially the right moment that teenagers should get the information that we need you. It's funny. I was driving my kids to school today and John Lewis popped into my mind and I was thinking about his words because I felt like, what are we going to do? You know, like, what does this look like? And the fact that I had some really tangible examples and words from a real hero like John Lewis was not lost on me in 2022. Because when I was a teenager, of course, like you might have heard, read a few lines about who John Lewis was, but we didn't have these, you know, larger discussions, these documentaries, like we weren't paying attention in the way that we do now. And we didn't really have a roadmap. And in my adult life, you know, with all of these political and social issues that we've been facing, I've been taken back to like my freshman and sophomore years of college, where you're really digging into Black history. And and it occurs to you that there are people in your family who lived it, Mm. that there are actual examples and people that you could reach to tell you these stories that we've never really talked about. And I just find it, you know, so fascinating that now in this day and age with the advancements in technology and the, the progress that has been made, we have voices like yours who can point us in the right direction. And it doesn't feel so abstract or long ago, or how did those people affect change? Like there are actual roadmaps for that, but I think lining them up and putting them in one place and making them relevant and modern is, is really necessary, but I, I would imagine that it's tough and you do that so beautifully, whether you're talking to adults or now talking to teens. And I wonder, you know, it's one thing to fight these battles for yourself. And we know that you've done so much work on yourself in your own life, but how are you able to translate that in ways that, you know, still feel so personal, but are also so widely applicable? It feels like you're talking to just me and everyone. Because I think the personal is universal. When we are able to drill down on really what our, what our needs are, what our pain points are, that means you're actually going to be speaking about somebody else's. You know, I also, I feel like I'm always speaking to the version of me from 10 years ago. And then even me from last week, who might've been afraid to do something, you know, scary. I'm speaking specifically to somebody when I'm writing. And I think that really makes it relatable because it feels like you're in conversation with somebody. You know, I write like I am in conversation with people. And I think that's what really makes my writing stick. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because None of us have any of this figured out. We're all just trying to figure out what has worked in our little spaces and hopefully passing that on. And I think feel like that's what I've been doing. Um, and that's why, like, when I write the book, I'm, ta- I'm thinking about specific moments in my life. You know, every chapter applies to a cer- certain thing about me. And I think that's what makes it feel personal, which then makes it feel universal. Like, I, I wrote Rising Troublemaker to the 16 year old version of me who needed to be affirmed when she was using her voice, who sometimes was like, Ooh, maybe I should be quiet today. You know, I, I, I wrote this book for the nine-year-old version of me who, when she came to the U S nobody could say her, say her name and whose accent made her real different. So I think also thinking about snapshots of my life and what I needed to hear has allowed me to write this book and any book that I've written, but this book in particular 
It's like, what did I need to hear when I was 12? What did I need to hear when I was 14? Like, what were the things I was grappling with? What would have, if I had known, would have made my journey easier or less chaotic or less unsure? And that's why I'm like so excited for Rising Troublemakers being the, in the hands of young adults. Because I was like, yo, I needed this book. Yes, I needed this book too. What would you say was the biggest change in your approach when you're writing for teens and when you're writing for adults? Because I imagine, I mean, we got to keep a little of the sparkle and the magic and the mystery of life (laughs) life for the young ones or else, you know, they might just give up. (laughs) You know, my approach, I'm not talking down to them at all. You know, I'm I'm basically giving them full auntie energy. But you know, what's interesting is I actually approached it very similarly because I do think a lot of us are doing like inner child work right now. A lot of us need to be spoken to like we were teenagers. You know, what, what are the things, how do we need to be affirmed? What hand needs to be held? What pat on the back do we need to hear? You know what I mean? While we are um, experiencing the highs and lows of life, what are the times we need to hear? You okay? You doing fine? I actually realized that I approached professional troublemaker as if I was talking to teenagers because literally like who we are at 37 at 40, it's kind of very similar to who we were at 17 in terms of our love languages, the things that we were insecure about. So it's actually interesting that, yeah, I think adults are very much children who are taller, who have a little bit more money. (laughs) We're all like just still trying to figure it out. We all still want the validation of our peers and our loved ones. We all still need to hear that we are enough. Yes. We all still need to know that like, yeah, you can take up space without apology. So I think a lot of the messages that we need now are messages we should have heard 20 years ago, that it would hit different because now we would have been hearing it for 20 years, as opposed to just hearing it for the first time at our big age. What would you say goes in or what would you say is the most consistent method that you tap into when you are doing what I think you do best, which is really holding us accountable for ourselves. Like it's one thing to talk about how you react to other people, how you react to changing conditions. But if I'm honest, I think what speaks to me about your work is, is how much it feels like a mirror, Um, you know, and how much that fear really isn't so much about what all is happening out there. It's so much more what's like happening inside. And I mean, how did you cultivate the skills to tap into that and confront that? Because that is a whole thing. I think I use myself as the constant example. So as opposed to being like, y'all got to do better. I'm like, no, no, we have to do better. It starts with me, right? So I use myself as an example and tell my own stories because I'm like, anything that I've said or asked other people to say or do, I've done first. Right. Like I, I've, I've used my life as the test dummy. Ultimately, like I am the control group. That's like the reason why I know this. And I'm saying this because I'm the same mess. Right. Understanding that all of us have these issues. It is not one of us that's better than the other. And I never position myself as an, as an expert. I'm more of a guide who's like telling you what I just saw showing my vulnerability and kind of wielding that as my, as my number one weapon is, is talking about my life and my journey. And I think even my journey as a writer in general is a journey of evolution. You know, people who've been following me for 10, 15 years are like, oh my gosh, we have all grown up together. So I think the best type of writing that connects with me is one where the writer is at the center 
of this. And it's not just like, yeah, I'm just telling you what to do. It's more like, I'm telling you my experience and what worked. There's a quote about how like the person you are most positioned to serve is the past version of you. And that's who I'm always talking to. Lovey, who gave you or what gave you permission to pay attention to your mental health? Like when in your life was that? And is that something that came naturally to you? Um, no, it did not come naturally to me because nobody really talks about mental. Well, now we talk about mental health more, but like 10 years ago, we weren't talking about wellness and therapy and, and like self-care publicly in a big way. I think probably six, seven years ago, I started seeing more of it. And like friends like my leak started talking about therapy. And I'm like, hmm. And I don't know what happened in the world, but maybe it was like prominent people taking their own lives. But there came a point where we all started actually doing it publicly because we started realizing this is critical. This is critical happening around us in our homes to people that we know are people who are struggling loudly and quietly with mental health. And I think um, maybe we got to a point where we realized that our silence was not serving us with it. And I think more of us just started talking about it. I started going to therapy five years ago and I have my, my degrees in psychology, my, my college degree. I worked at the counseling center for two and a half years and I still didn't go to therapy mm-hmm. thinking it's not for me. I'm okay. Meanwhile, not understanding that therapy is like cardio for your mind. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not about you being like, I'm okay. It's about how do you know how you really are if you're not honing into that? So I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the louder conversation about mental health, about depression, about therapy, about self-care, about the ways in which the world gaslights us into these moments. I'm grateful for that. And I'm hoping that it starts normalizing more people being able to say, I'm going to seek it out. And frankly speaking, therapy should be free or actually, no, it should be free for all black people, black and brown people in the United States. Anybody who's on the margins, honestly, therapy should be free, period. Such a necessity. It is such a necessity. And you're right. We are in a place now where it's an open dialogue, but for so long it wasn't. And I think especially in black families, because what are you talking about? Like, we don't do that. We figure it out. We pray on it so many other methods to kind of fix your life than therapy. And I wondered if there were any hurdles for you to overcome yourself, like stigmas or roadblocks for you tackling that when you first started approaching it. Yeah. I think, uh, I didn't necessarily have stigma around it because again, my, my degrees in psychology and I really believe in the power of it. What I realized was I had to overcome what was ultimately my fear of vulnerability therapy like you got to get naked like emotionally naked and and raw and you actually have to like dig beneath the places where you might not even have touched about your life all the things you might have repressed that you didn't realize all the traumas you might have had that you didn't even have the language to call trauma that was tough because i'm like i'm fine I, I walked to therapy like i'm great i'm normal first of all normal doesn't exist no, none of us are normal there's no normal but like you start digging in, you go, oh man, there's a lot here. That, that, that was the toughest part of therapy. It still is sometimes when you're like, you know, 
I don't want to work today. I don't want to do hard work today and, and think through and heal. I don't want to do that today. I think about, you know, Glenn Doyle who says like, we can do hard things. Therapy is a hard thing that it's necessary. Like everybody who thinks I'm okay, trust me, there's something that you're dealing with that you don't realize you're dealing with that is affecting how you are showing up in rooms, how you are operating, how you are being a good friend or partner. We all need to go. We all need to go. It's like the dentist. Like you can't just go when your tooth is gone. Yes. You need to go for your six month teeth cleaning. Mm -hmm. Cause if you go years without it, now you realize you have gum disease. Mm -hmm. Irreversible gum disease. (laughs) Correct. Correct. Oh gosh. Um, so of course my love language is television and film. (laughs) I assess people and whether or not I think we should hang out based on what they watch. And I am always curious about what you're watching. But right now, I want to talk about what you think the young people should be watching, because we're in a little bit of a Black renaissance right now when it comes to content. And you know, so many things that just didn't exist or couldn't have existed when you and I were teenagers that just do now. So what are some things that have jumped out at you? Like, man, I wish this existed 15 years ago. Um, I don't know. Tough one, right? Because I don't know if it's teen appropriate, but I have been watching, I mean, I do watch a lot of TV too. Like TV, we are absolutely in the second golden age of television or maybe third, but like, this is, there's so much good TV to watch right now that it's overwhelming sometimes to be like, which what part of my queue do I want to step into? Bel Air, the reimagining of Bel Air is one of the most brilliant things I've seen. It is such an undone way to do reboots. That I'm like, now, how many other comedies do we need to reboot into dramas? Because this is beautiful. It's so good. It is so good. Every episode, I'm like, this is genius. Yes. It is storytelling at its best. Absolutely. So good. They did that so right. I agree with you 100%. And you know what jumps out at me is I was talking to uh, two of the leads of that show a few weeks ago. Um, and we were talking about how Ashley's character in Bel Air is, you know, questioning or a lesbian. But that conversation that she had with her sister Hillary was such a roadmap of what that should look like. And to me stuck out as like, and if you don't know, this is actually what, where we are right now. And, and I want like every teen, every parent to see that because it was just so regular. Like it was just so normal. Yes. She didn't make a big deal out of it. It just was, she was like, I have a crush. She was like, Oh, what's her name? And it happened to be a girl. And she was like, oh, great. Like, what do you like about her? It was so normal. Thank you. Like, it did not make such this big thing out of it. It was just like, yes, this is just as if she said she had a crush on somebody whose name is Keith. Like, it was fantastic. I think Bel Air is such an affirmation. Like, it's it's actually, you know what? That actually is the one that's perfect for for kids to watch. Because there are also teenagers in there who are navigating all these different ideas they're navigating dating, being the new kid, making mistakes. It actually is the perfect one that I think kids should be watching. Now, for non non kids, you know, there's so much. I've I've been watching a lot of documentaries Ew. of uh, white mess. A we lot of docu- yes, the way down. Oh my gosh, the way down took me so far down. The way down is just. 
I love white mess documentaries. Like they just bring me joy because I'm just like, y'all are hot mess. The We Work one is good. Yes. And then another one that I just binge watch in terms of I just finished this Ozark, the last episodes. So I just, I be, I, I like literally watch TV and binges now. I don't even just watch it for like 30 minutes. I'm sitting there for six hours. Like, all right, next episode. <laughs> I just finished Ozark too. And that was some pretty intriguing white mess. I think that like being able to watch white people be crazy, like succession is my favorite. I love success. Love me some succession. Do you hear me? I'm waiting. Right. I mean, just like drooling, just waiting for it, please give it to me. But I mean, whether you're talking about succession or like the Tinder swindler that, Oh, which I also saw like, that's the new escapism actually. Like I'm not trying to watch Lord of the Rings, like, because it's real, but also that could never happen to a black person. That could never, I think, I mean, you know, watch, there's going to be like a thousand people hitting us saying, you know, like I was Tinder swindled too, but yeah, aren't you ever just like, do you not have one black person in your life? <laughs> you know what? There's always one black person in every white man's documentary who's talking sense. The woman in the, in the, in the way down, the black woman <laughs> who was like, uh, uh. Girl, I say yes. You need us because we gonna ask the good questions. Yes, or Lula Row. Lula, you know I watched Lula Row. The one black girl in Lula Row was like, I don't know what they would do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you have a white mess documentary and you don't have one black woman in it who is asking y'all why they were being stupid, it's not. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Um, so I wanted to tell some of our listeners that I had the privilege of actually traveling with Lovey a few months ago. We uh, have a mutual friend and we went to a beautiful, beautiful destination. And for me, it was like the trip of a lifetime, but it was also the first time that I really went somewhere with the intention of self-care. And I think everybody's vibe Like we were all on that. It was on some like communal self-care. Like I'm here because I love myself and I love someone who really makes me love myself. Am I lying? Yes. Right? It was a, that trip was such soul. It was soul food. That trip was soul food. Like I was like, I don't want to go back. (laughs) No, no. take me to Grenada right now, please. Stay, keep me in this beautiful resort eating amazing fruits and food and by the pool. Wouldn't you say though, that even that is new, like being able to cultivate your free time in a way that is intentional. Like vacation just used to be, be somewhere else doing the same shit you got to do on any given day, whether it's like watch your kids or feed yourself, like get to where you're going. But this was, it was, like I said, so full of intention and it was so communal and it was, It was one of the first times, I mean, again, this was first trip after years of lockdown because of the pandemic, but it was just like, we've all been through something apart, but, um, you know, traumatizing and crazy. And it just felt, it just hit different. It just felt different. And I wonder, because you communicate with so many people on such a large scale, like, do you see that trend? Like, do you feel a collective from us right now i'm especially seeing with black women like we're over here like listen we're gonna go on a vacation and we're gonna chill and i'm loving it i think i think we've been 
we're now consistently hearing the message from each other that the rest of the world will bleed us dry. It is time for us to start putting ourselves first. Something that is so not intuitive to us. Something that we have to learn how to even do. Like you actually have to learn how to take a vacation truly. Like you have to learn how to relax because you're so used to go, 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 save, 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 that when it's time to relax, you're like, what's the catch? So I love that trip because it was like, everybody came on one accord on some, like, we are here for joy, nothing but joy, just joy, rest, relaxation. If it is not in that category, we're not doing it. And I loved it. And I think more of us need it. We deserve it. I want to know from you how we can take some of that with us. Like I'm constantly like (laughs) meditating myself back to Grenada, but you know, I'm not in Grenada. I'm not going to be in Grenada all the time, but like, what is it that we allow ourselves to do when we're fully immersed in that mindset that we can actually do in real life amid all of the chaos? Yeah. I think one thing I started doing after that trip was I started taking, I have self-care days where I actually go for massages regularly like scheduled massages and those days I try not take meetings you know where it's like today's just about me getting my brain back Mm -hmm. and I think that's important bringing part of what you did and felt while on vacation to your real life whether it's 15 minutes of you being like I'm just gonna sit here listening massage music which I sometimes will do there's a Spotify playlist called relax and massage just put it on, even, even as you're cleaning your house. It brings some zen into the room. So realizing that I don't have to wait to be on vacation to have some element of relaxation or rest. And lastly, Lovey, again, just in light of you know what we woke up to this morning, what we're likely gearing up for a long road ahead, when, you know, fighting your fears is is something to always aspire to but when it feels like wow like Voldemort is just really out here wielding his power around it seems very very big and holy shit how did we get there like do you have any advice when it's it's time for a fight and it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot of fight left you have to find hope against hope Like it's one of those things where some people think hope can be futile, but I think hope is why you get out of bed. I think you have to find something to hold on to as the world is like rocking. You have to find something that's going to be your grounding force. And for me, that's my faith. And I almost feel like having faith is in itself a coping mechanism, right? Like I understand how people are like, yeah, I don't believe in that. Understand. But for me, it's my coping mechanism in moments like this because it is what keeps hope alive for me, right? Like knowing that ultimately at the end of it all, we're going to be okay. That this is part of a grander plan to get us to higher ground. So that's what I try to tap into um, at times like this. And then I also, this is why it's also important for me to like be who I say I am, be like embody my values because I need to be who I am, whether the world is shaken or not. So sometimes it also looks like you finding your own grounding in yourself. 
You know, who are you in public and private? What can you do in this moment that will make you proud? You know, what, what, what can you, how can you show up in a way that will honor you and who you hold dear? And I think I try to do that in those, in these times too. And, you know, they, they say that in times of crisis, artists create their best work. Toni Morrison said that. So also do your best and that's it. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time and your candor and this book that I'm going to share with every young person that I know. Yes. Like I, and you know, I want teachers, mentors, parents, aunties, buy this for your young people. I think it's really going to be valuable for them because again, this is the book that had I read at 17, at 16, at 12 would have really affirmed who I was, would have told me that like, yeah, girl, keep being different as opposed to me having to figure it out later. Um, so Rising Troublemaker, Fear Fighter Manual for Teens. I really am excited to see this in the world. Pre-order it. It's, it drops everywhere May 17th. Thanks so much, lovey. Before we go, I just want to remind all of you listeners that we have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Free movies, free shows, and so many free channels. Find us on all your devices wherever you use the internet. On our new mobile app, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, and an over-the-air network. We even have a Black Podcast Network coming soon. Download The Grio now. It's free. The Grio. Black Culture Amplified. Thanks so much for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and concerns to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod. <laughs>